Uh, let's pray this morning. God, God, I thank you so much for who you are and, um, and your mercy and your grace and, and the freedom you give us uh, through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, that um, as we are challenged by your word, that we would not uh, be offended, um, but instead uh, just be humble and be willing to look in the mirror of your word and see the things that don't match up and be willing to be humble and, and repent for that. Lord, I ask that you would help me uh, to say what you want me to say so that I don't get any praise for what's for what's coming out of your word, Lord, uh, but just that you would be honored through through what your word says this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you've looked in your bulletins, you'll see that today's topic is how to be a Pharisee. How many of us want to grow up and be Pharisees? That's what I wanted to be. When I was six years old, I said, I want to grow up and be a Pharisee. If you have any uh, history in the church at all, you know that being a Pharisee is the opposite of what you want to be. And so I hope you figured out just from the title of this morning's uh, message that I don't want you to be a Pharisee. We don't want to be a Pharisee. How to be a Pharisee? Typically, you want to do the opposite of what I'm going to tell you. Okay, so don't take this as a seminar for how to be a good Pharisee, all right? Um, because what we're going to see that if you want to be a good Pharisee, uh, the characteristics, they start out very noble and well-meaning, but eventually descend into legalism and self-righteousness and prejudice, and many times undetected. We don't even realize that that's what we're becoming. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. As we look at uh, one of Jesus' encounters with the Pharisees. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 right now. Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Okay. Point number one for how to be a Pharisee. Start out wanting to defend the word of God. Start out wanting to defend the word of God. Where did the Pharisees come from? We never heard of them in the Old Testament, right? But in the New Testament, they're all over the place. And so uh, where did they come from? In the second century B.C., before Christ, we had the Maccabean Revolt. And... This is where the Jews took back Jerusalem. They fought for it. They took it back from their uh, oppressors, the people who were ruling them. And uh, because the people who were ruling them were trying to make everything more Greek and remove Judaism, the religion. And uh, they, would, they would even hold the Olympic, some Olympic games in Jerusalem. And the Jewish competitors would try to hide their circumcision marks. Right? It's like, that's too Jewish. We don't want to see that. I don't want to see that anyway, but <laughs> but eventually the Jews would revolt and and they would take back the city and and rededicate the temple, right? Uh, and just 
become solidly Jewish again. However, over time, even these new Jewish rulers were prone to corruption and Hellenistic influence. And so a group of people separated themselves, said, hey, we need to stand up for the word of God. We are going to be the ones who follow and teach the word of God to everyone else. And so they became the Pharisees. Some people think the mean the word originally means separated ones. All right. And so if it wasn't for the Pharisees during this time period, uh, respect for the law of God probably would have been lost and people would have fallen into an idolatrous condition like after the time of Solomon. Instead, this time worshiping the Greek gods. So the Pharisees started out well. They were concerned with where the people of God were heading, and they defended God's word. And that is noble. We believe that, right? All of us should be so committed to God's word that we are willing to go against popular opinion and trends. We know this as Christians. However, this also means that if we are so dedicated, every one of us has the potential to become a Pharisee. Because the Pharisees were so committed. So look at yourself right now. You have the potential to be a Pharisee. Alright? Point number two. To be a Pharisee, out of concern to stop people from sinning, come up with extra guidelines to supplement the word of God. See, originally it was only the priests who needed to wash their hands in order to, to perform their priestly duties at the altar and in the temple. But the Pharisees, in an effort to avoid any chance of defilement and uncleanness among the people, applied this rule to everybody. So you see, for the Pharisees, if the nation was in sin, God's blessing was being withheld. And since they were under subjection to the Roman authorities at the time, what does that mean? The nation is sinful. And so one of their actual beliefs, an actual belief of the Pharisees, was that if the nation could keep two consecutive Sabbaths, God would redeem them, remove their oppressors, and give them back their land. So it was in everybody's best interest that they create new rules that everybody should follow. Why? Because if they create all these new rules, they could keep people as far away from sinning as possible. Keep them as far away from becoming unclean as possible, which would what? Convince God of their worthiness and bring about God's judgment on their enemies and the restoration of Jewish rule. Again, a seemingly noble motive. Sounds good, right? But what happens? Jesus comes along with his disciples. He's not washing his hands. He's picking grain on Sabbath. He's healing on Sabbath. He's associating with unclean Samaritans. Doing all these inappropriate things that in their minds is not bringing in the kingdom. What's it doing? It's actually preventing the kingdom. From being restored to them. So their animosity toward Jesus is not simply out of a desire for power or control of the people. 
but instead because Jesus is plowing through their roadblocks that they've set up as precautions against possibly sinning. And Jesus is keeping God angry at Israel. Remember, this is all based on their thought that they are trying to keep people from sinning so that Jewish rule can be restored. So they come to Jesus and they ask him, hey, why aren't you following our traditions? Verses 3 through 9. And he answered them, and why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Okay, so he doesn't really answer them. He goes off on another tangent. Okay. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say... If anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as Doctrines, the commandments of who? Men. Jesus' first response is to expose their backwardness. They've gotten everything inverted. Everything's reversed. He uses the example of honoring parents. The Pharisees made it okay to give that money to the temple instead of money that you could have used to take care of your elderly parents. And in doing so, what did they do? They placed their rules over the actual commandment of God. And obviously Jesus doesn't seem to care for that too much, right? And he reveals the third way we can become a Pharisee. Number three, make strict obedience to these man-made rules the standard of holiness. The inevitable result of making people follow extra rules is that they get caught up in following the rules. And what happens? Neglect their heart for God. They think the man-made rules please God, so if they follow them, whether or not they actually love God is irrelevant. It gets pushed into the background. But the Bible is clear that God is so much more concerned with the internal rather than the external. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, right? But the Lord looks on the heart. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Many of us wonder why so many teenagers walk away from the church when they hit college. Could it be that they thought everyone was more concerned with the outward appearance and following rules and just being good rather than their actual heart condition? And it's so tempting because they'll be accepted if they do things the right way in front of people. But if we gave people the freedom and allowed them, allowed their heart uh, to be toward God instead of extra rules, when they do sin, 
or make unwise decisions, God and the loving body of Christ will be able to correct them and steer them back. Why? Because they are not confused by rituals and traditions and rules, but free to be concerned with what God actually wants them to do instead of what man thinks they should do. Do you know that following the rules is a great cover for a heart that wants nothing to do with God? Not only do traditions act as a cover, many times the man-made rules prevent people, well, actually prevents the Holy Spirit from working freely in people because they're afraid they might offend somebody. Right? Not because they're doing something sinful, but because they are going against someone's preference. Now, here is where I have to say, nothing wrong with personal preferences. Jesus doesn't have a problem with personal preferences and refraining from doing certain things that your conscience won't allow you to do. The problem is assuming that your conscience is speaking for the Holy Spirit And so your preference should be applied to everyone. You turn a preference into a precept. And just like that, you have invented your own form of righteousness. You elevate your preference to a precept, just like the Pharisees did. And if they don't follow the rules, what? We judge them. Sometimes we exclude them. We disassociate from them. Or or we may not exclude them because, you know, we have to keep up the image that we're good, loving Christians. Uh, But in reality, we look at those people with a good deal of mistrust. Right? Something ain't right about them. Just like the Pharisees. So this morning, uh, this is the point where things will get sticky and uncomfortable and messy All right, because we have to talk about real world things in the church today. That things that people elevate to a level of God's law that are merely preferences that have somehow become precepts. That we demand people follow. I'll give you one personal example. When I was at Word of Life, uh, I was in the ensemble at the singing group that travels. uh, We traveled around the state of Florida and uh, this singing in churches. And this one Sunday morning, uh, our leader sent us, and this is the first time he sent us off by ourselves without him. And uh, we, we, we had to drive five hours to get to this place, and, and we get there. And what our leader had forgotten to tell us was that this church believed that you should never sing with pre-recorded music. Okay? And that's all we had. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it wasn't like we could just turn around and go pick up some whatever instruments or whatever it was. Anyway, um, but their thinking was that only Christians should lead in worship. That's right, right? That's that's correct. Anthony agrees, right? Good. Only Christians should lead in worship, and only Christians should play in the praise band. But with pre-recorded music. They didn't know if the people who played the instruments on the recorded music were Christians. (laughs) 
And so they didn't want to take the chance. And so no one is allowed to play pre-recorded music. But Tillman, you couldn't sing a song, right? Sister Sylvia could not have sung what she sang just now. Now, it doesn't matter, but we somehow we pumped the music through the speakers on the stage and only let the voices go into the congregation. But I, I guarantee you there are people who, who were upset that we were still singing with tracks somehow. Um, and it sounds weird, and you know, but there's all kinds of things like that. We've got, we've got KJV-only churches, right? They believe that the KJV is the only inspired version of the Bible, and they heap condemnation on you if you read any other version. So my question is, what about people who don't speak English? Right? Is the KJV inspired for them too? Does the Bible say that the KJV is the only version that people should use? That would be hard because KJV wasn't invented until 1500, uh, you know, until 1500 years after the Bible was written. Uh, it, I don't know. Um, does that mean that no one before the KJV was really saved since they didn't have the real Bible? See, that's how these man-made rules go. When we carry them to their logical conclusions, they don't make sense, and they're proven to be bankrupt. Now I bring it a little closer to home in Calvary Bible Church. And I am not trying to pick any fights. I am not trying to attack anyone. Um, but what are some of the traditions that we have that some people might hold as God's commands? How about dress code? Calvary Bible Church is known by some that you have to dress up if you really want to be accepted when you walk in the door. But why? Does God really feel more honored if I wear a polo shirt or a Brooks Brothers shirt instead of an old navy shirt? We've already been through the verses uh, that tell us that God is far more concerned with our internal condition rather than the external condition. James chapter 2 tells us that it is sinful to accept or exclude people based on what they wear. And is it only on Sunday that we must dress up? What about on Thursday when you're just sitting in your house and you want to honor God? Do you go and change your clothes? We don't really believe that the Holy Spirit works better when we have more clothing on, right? I mean, I know I look good in a suit. But the Bible doesn't make it a requirement, does it? No. But does that man-made rule have the possibility of turning people away? You bet it does. Another one. Music. Some think the only songs we should sing are hymnals, are hymns. And we should never sing off the screen, we should only sing from the hymnal. 
Others wish that we would throw the hymnals away. And only sing contemporary songs. Because they make me feel close to God. (sighs) Once again, we must ask, does the Bible specifically prescribe certain methods for singing songs? No. Does it prescribe certain types of songs? Yes. Songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay? How? With grace in your hearts to the Lord. Again, God is more concerned about the heart and not so much the type of song we sing and whether or not we sing from the screen or from the hymnal. Last one. Recently, as technology has improved, it has become possible to read your Bible on your personal electronic device. Right? Whether it is your phone, your palm, or your iPad, whatever. But for some people, that breaks the tradition of reading the Word of God off the physical page. So my question is, does the printed page, printed paper, make the Word of God more effective? If that is true, then memorizing Scripture has to be just as ineffective as reading it off of a screen. Because it's a non-physical thing, right? In your brain, you're recalling Scripture. That's just what? Electronic synapses firing. Electronic synapses firing off of this, right? Are we going to say memorizing Scripture is no good? No, we'll never say that. Jesus would say, hmm. let's read uh, verses 10 and 11. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. He's finally answering the question. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. So, Jesus would say, the clothes you put on does not make you unclean. Whether you sing out of the hymnal or only sing contemporary songs off the screen does not make you unclean. Whether you read from the page or an electronic device does not make you unclean. It's all about your heart. But some of these things, we we only realize how silly they are when we say them out loud. Right? And think them through. And, uh, and some of you right now are saying, I'm so glad he's talking about this. And some of you are saying, how dare he talk about this? Let's consider the rest of the story. <clears throat> Jesus calls the people to him and tells them that clean or unclean has nothing to do with what you consume. It's what comes out of your heart that reveals whether you are clean or unclean. It's not following traditions. And so basic, basically Jesus says, traditions and man-made rules have no real value because they do not change anyone's heart. Verses 12 through 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, uh, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, 
Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So the disciples come up to Jesus after this and they say, Hey, did you know you offended them? Is that what you were trying to do? Here's the fourth step to being a Pharisee. Get offended when someone says your rules do not increase godliness or restrain people from sinning. In this case, it's Jesus who's saying it. Get offended. Walk out in a huff. Lead the church. Go on a quest to find a church that will elevate your preference as high as the word of God. The disciples themselves kind of seem uneasy about it, right? They themselves were probably uncomfortable with breaking the traditions of the elders. They were probably uncomfortable with not washing their hands. They struggled with this idea of what makes someone clean or unclean. Is it outward obedience to the law? Does that make me right with God? That's what the Pharisees say. But for us, where does our holiness come from? Where does our righteousness come from? What makes us clean? Is it following even well-intentioned rules? Turn to Colossians chapter 2 with me. And here Paul, Paul is discussing where our holiness comes from. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 8 and go straight to the end of the chapter. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. According to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh. By the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made to get made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside who set it aside he did nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How much of our holiness has to do with you? Nothing. Where is it found? In Christ. In him. How much man-made tradition has anything to do with our holiness? None of it. So we know where our holiness comes from. And the conclusion is obvious. Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink 
or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. How much power do our man-made rules have in changing our heart? Zero. Yet, we hold on to them. We hold on to them. Paul agrees with Jesus. Although we invent these rules with an appearance of wisdom, they don't really do anything to change the heart. So instead of pursuing these rules, let's pursue Jesus. And the real relationship with him and give him permission to change us by his spirit. By his own process. You see, most of these rules are our own attempts to speed along our sanctification. Right? We want to be perfectly sanctified right now. But again, Paul says that is impossible. Not only from this verse. If you read Galatians chapter 3, we're not going to turn there. If you read Galatians chapter 3, he calls the Galatians fools for trying to do that very thing. Trying to increase their sanctification by man-made rules and fleshly efforts. Only the Holy Spirit can produce any real change of heart. And no amount of rule following can accomplish that. Rule keeping might keep us out of trouble. Okay? But is that really all we're shooting for? Staying out of trouble? God wants our heart and our praise. Not merely our begrudging obedience to make our lives work better. Sometimes traditions and rules are created with the hope of keeping people far away from sin. Sometimes traditions become so ingrained because that's how it was talk, taught to me and I benefited from that. So it must be the way that everyone receives a blessing. But sometimes traditions are formed with the unspoken intent of keeping people out. Let's move to verse 21 in Matthew 15. 
At the same time, I'm going to tell you that in this event, uh, Jesus is showing the disciples exactly what it looks like when we take on a pharisaical attitude toward people we think are unclean because they don't follow our traditions and preferences. And as we read this, imagine Jesus himself playing the role of a Pharisee. Jesus becomes a Pharisee in this passage to show us how ugly it is. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out. What do we think of when we think of Canaanite? Idol worshippers. They were the possessors of the land before Israel got there, right, in the Old Testament. Not on God's side, right? How would a Jew typically envision a Canaanite? Not on their side. Unclean, idol worshippers. Don't want anything to do with them. And she's a woman. Right? Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Remember, Jesus is being a Pharisee. Didn't answer her a word. He ignores her. He ignores her. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. Right? So Jesus ignores her. The disciples, who's she going to go to next? His disciples. But they've seen how he's treated her. He's ignored her. She's not important. We don't need to be concerned with her. Jesus, tell her to go away. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He excludes her. He's ignored her. He's excluded her. Let's see what else. But she came and knelt before him. She gets in his way. He can't ignore me now. Right? Knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, commentators like to take that word dog there and uh, try to say oh, it was just a small house pet instead of, instead of like the, a pot cake. Okay? Uh, does that really soften the blow? This woman, whenever she encountered a Jew, might have been called a dog. Every time. She might be used to this. So Jesus has ignored her, excluded her, and now he's insulted her. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. When you're desperate, you'll take any insult, right? Parents, when you want to help your kid, you'll take any insult, right? Then Jesus answered her. Now Jesus flips it. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her, and her daughter was healed instantly. What did Jesus value? 
her faith. Not how she dressed, not the types of songs she sang, not her nationality or her race or even her history. Jesus was concerned with her heart and that it expressed faith in him. He first shows how ugly the pharisaical thought is. It ignores people, pretends they don't exist, excludes them, says they're not good enough, and insults them. But in reality, God desires faith from us. That is all God requires. I am sorry if you have thought that Christianity is all about rules. It is all about faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And now, once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you read his word, the Holy Spirit will do great things in and through you. But that's after he has your heart. You don't do those things to change your heart. The good deeds we do and the rules we follow don't make us right with God. Jesus does. So can we be free? Jesus died to set us free from the rules and regulations. Applications. Some of you are here today and you think that your heart is right with God because you have followed all the rules. But Jesus says differently. Martin Luther said, uh, all of a man's life is one of repentance. So some of us need to repent for our heartless obedience. We have obeyed, but our heart has not been in it. Some of you are here today and you know your heart isn't right. But you're following the rules to keep cover off as a cover to keep people off your back. Let me just encourage you and tell you that you don't need to hide your heart from God. He is trustworthy to have your heart. Don't get distracted by the rules that men invent. Some of you know that your heart isn't right, but you don't care. You don't, you haven't been trying to follow the rules and your heart isn't right. Um, let me simplify Christianity for you. It is merely believing and putting your faith and trust in Christ's death for your sins and his resurrection from the dead. Just like he told the woman, it's your faith that gives you acceptance with God. And then you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and produce changes. So as we conclude, let us all consider where we find our holiness and what we consider as holiness in other people. Is it in keeping rules that have an appearance of wisdom? Or is it in Christ? I hope this morning we can all be free from our own efforts of holiness because they are exhausting. 
and give all of that to God and let Him, let Him work in us to make His holiness manifest in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for Your Son, for the love that He has for us, for the freedom that He gives us. Father, help us to be humble, to repent in any ways that we have judged others because they have not followed our preferences. God, I pray for those who may be struggling, who know that their heart is is not right with you and have only been uh, following the rules so that they won't stick out. God, I pray that you would convict them. I pray that you would show them that, that you are good, that you are trustworthy, and that they can put their faith and trust in you and in what Christ did on the cross and being resurrected from the dead. God, help us to leave this place and be free, to not put uh, heavy burdens on other people with man-made expectations of following rules. God, help us to see uh, your greatness and to glorify you for the freedom that you have secured for us. In Jesus' name, amen.